I have saved uh, the final thank you for the time right before prayer. And that's a thank you that goes out to you, the church. You have been absolutely amazing for the last three weeks. Uh, Joy and I would get up, uh, literally Joy and I, uh, it was so bad for Joy and I that we made a deal with each other that if one of us could get up, Joy had the the coronavirus right next to me. Um, So when I got it, the the doctor actually in the emergency room said to her, there's not a chance, you're you're down too. Um, We made a deal with each other that if one of us got up to get something that we needed, we'd just bring the same thing back because the other wasn't sure that they were going to be able to get up and do that. And so we, for about 10, 11 days, but on those times when, when we could get up and, and we had to eat something, uh, we inevitably would go to the front door. There'd be soups there. There'd be food there. There would be notes there. You guys are an amazing church. You're an amazing church. And so... My final thank you today is just to, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you guys are the best. Thank you for that. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I do just lift up a prayer this morning of thanksgiving for Santa Claus United Methodist Church. Lord, I don't know what you preordained for this church and these people. But I do know, Lord, how they have lived in to what it means to be your people in this community. Lord, for close to 10 years now, I have watched as they have loved the community. Thank you for that. I have experienced in the last three weeks how they love each other. Thank you for that. I just pray your blessing upon them, Lord, as you have given me the words in 2022, comfort. Yes, comfort my people. And so, Lord, I pray a blessing upon Santa Claus United Methodist Church. I pray a blessing upon their finances. I pray a blessing upon the the leadership and the vision that, uh, that is setting itself for the next three to five years. I pray a blessing on on uh, Ken and, and Stuart and, and all of those tan that are, that are helping us uh, look at what you are calling us to do and who you're calling us to be. And so, Lord, just pour out your Holy Spirit on this church. Lord, we do thank you for the tithes and the offerings that have come to your church this morning. We thank you for the faithfulness of your people. We thank you for hearts that respond to you in this way. We thank you for prayers that continue to be offered within this church. We do pray for those who have lost loved ones. There will be funerals this week that we will do. And Lord, there are those that are still sick and those that uh, are just needing you to touch their bodies. And Lord, as as a church, we pray for that. Finally, Lord, just for the acts of worship that we bring to you today. Lord, hear them and receive them as they come from our hearts. This we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As together we lift up and pray the prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Okay, well you'd think that after three weeks I would have just this smash up message for you. Can't promise that. But... I do believe that, uh, that God has brought us back into the only Christmas message I really wasn't able to deliver that I was hoping to deliver was the vision that God gave to the angels. I'll do that at some point because it's an amazing vision. Um, or not the angels, the shepherds, uh, that the angel gave to the shepherds. Um, it's an amazing vision and, and I'll hit that at some point. Uh, I don't know when. For today, I'm ready to get back into Romans. And if you'll remember, I started this last fall after I had done Acts. And so in the book of Romans, Paul is writing a letter. He hasn't gotten to Rome yet. And he's writing a letter to Rome that basically says, here's the things we need to work on and here's the things we need to think about as a church. Um, so he goes through chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, 4, 5. We're going to pick it up at chapter 3, and we've done all this work uh, in the first couple chapters to establish it. Can't go over that again. I am going to do a Wednesday night Bible study uh, that's going to really focus in depth on Romans. So anybody that's just like, I, I really want to know what's going on, uh, by all means, uh, you can either zoom in or come to Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock with me and we'll get really in-depth and we'll start at the beginning of Romans. But for today, here's what I want you to hear. We're in the third chapter of Romans. Rome, it's, it's, they're just like us. This idea that they're this ancient world totally disconnected from who we are, they think the same things we do. They're worried about the same things we're worried about. I'll give you an example. If you want to know, um, listen to the singers, the poets, not the historians. The historians, I read lots and lots of history, but you've got to be careful with history because everybody has an agenda with history. Everybody wants you to understand their perspective on history. Listen to the songwriters of the age. They'll tell you what's going on. Listen to the poets of the age. So let, let me introduce you to a man by the name of Juvenal. Not juvenile. Juvenal. One of the most noted poets in the time of Paul, in the time that's leading up to Nero and all of these things that are going to happen in a Rome that really when we talk about Rome, we think about this ancient civilization. Listen to what the poet was writing. Listen to what the songwriters. There is nothing farther that future times can add to our immorality. All right, this is the poet. This is the songwriter. This isn't a religious zealot. This isn't the preachers of the day. This is the normal person that's just writing poetry. To. There's nothing that future times can add to our morality. We perpetrate the same desires and acts and every vice has reached its climax and then it has set sail 
Now, he may have done poetry differently than, than ours do, but you hear what he's saying. Listen to this. Now, the suffering of the evils of long-continued peace, Rome, Pax Romana, right? The peace of Rome, all right? He says, we are suffering the evils of this Pax Romana, of this continued peace. Luxury that is more ruthless than war. Listen to that statement. Luxury that's more ruthless than war. It broods over Rome, he says, and it exacts vengeance from a conquered world. No guilt or deed of lust is wanting since Roman poverty has disappeared. And, and I could go on and on and, and tell you that one of my favorite is, if you don't think the Romans were the same as us, think about what it means to grow old. Now, I know there's lots of us that are like, we don't know what it means to grow old yet. But think about what it means to grow old. And listen to what Juvenal wrote to the people. Even though the powers of intellect retain their vigor. You know what he means, right? Even, even though your mind might be as sharp as a tack still. Yet he must lead forth the funerals of his children. He must gaze upon the pyre. You know what the pyre is. It's the place where you burn a body. right? It's the place where you do your funeral. He must gaze upon the pyre of a beloved wife. In other words, he's going to have to bury his wife. And the urns with all the remains of his brothers and sisters. This is the penalty imposed upon the long-lived. They must grow old with the death blow in their house forever of falling flesh of oft-recurring sorrow in an unremitting state of mourning and a suit of black. Well, you know what he's talking about there. If you're going to live to be an old person, he says, in Rome today, you are going to suffer the fact that everybody you love around you is going to die. You're going to bury your children, you're going to bury your spouse, maybe even a couple spouses. My point is this. Let me put this aside. Paul's writing to a people and he could be writing to us. We're no different than the Romans. We care about the morality. Not because we're religious people. Because we look around us and we say, what has happened to our nation?" We care about those around us as we grow older and, and it matters to us when the people that we love struggle with health. It's who we are. I could keep going with, with his poetry and with the things that he writes to the people. But I, but I want to get to the fact here uh, very quickly and move through this that Paul says to us, 
not just to Rome, but to us. There's three things, he said, that I want to teach you about faith. Before I get there, I'm writing you this letter to, to the Roman Jewish people, okay? Roman Christians and Jewish people alike. Because remember that Christians, by and large, were Jewish people that had come to believe in Jesus Christ. There were a few Gentiles being brought in, but generally this was the faith of the Jewish people who had become Christians, and some of them were still Jewish, and really wrestling with this idea. He says, there's three things before I get there that I want you to think about. Number one, I want you to think about. The third chapter, the ninth verse. What is faith in terms of salvation? What does faith mean in terms of salvation? He says, what then? Are we better than they? Who are they? Are we, at Santa Claus United Methodist Church, are we as Christians better than the people in the world? Better in what way? Well, we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks, both Christians and non-Christians in 2021, that they are all under sin. They're all under sin. But wait a minute, preacher. That's not what we've been raised to believe. We've been raised to believe that because we're Christians, we're not under sin. Amen? Yeah? So if you've been a Christian all your life, what does that mean? Well, if you, had, if you were Jewish all your life, I want you to hear the argument that Paul's making to the Jewish people. Just because you have been a Jew since the day you were born, and your mommy and daddy took you up to be baptized in front of the church, yeah, 12 days old, go to the temple, get the child confirmed, get the child blessed, give the child to God, you know what happens. Circumcision happens. All the rituals. Call it baptism in 2021. Call it confirmation when they hit 12 or 13 years of age. Call it whatever you want. If you are born into the faith, here's our idea. It's the same idea that in 60 AD, Roman Jewish Christians had. I'm Jewish. I'm good. I observe all the laws. Have since the time I was very young. Paul said, let me tell you something about that faith. That faith gives you no advantage. You've been a Christian all your life. Paul says, good for you. <laughs> that doesn't save you. Whew. 
Now imagine that you're a Jewish person in Rome and Paul's writing this letter to you and he's saying, when I get there, we're going to have this conversation. That somehow you think just because you're a Christian, you're no longer under sin. Hmm, you want to have that conversation? In 2021? Well, I gave my life to Christ. I've been baptized. I'm not under sin anymore. What then? Are we better than they are in the world? The non-Christians just because we're a Christian? Paul says no. And I want you to think about this, Paul says, because we're going to have a conversation about this. What is it that saves you, Paul says? He's going to go on and he's going to say, what's going to save you is faith in Jesus Christ and that alone. Period. Roman, Jew, Greek, any combination of the three, you still daily are going to need the blood of Jesus Christ because we are people under sin. So, lest we start thinking too highly of ourselves, Paul says, then you need to understand that faith, the first thing I need to teach you about faith, there is a reason that Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. Because we are a people, Christian or non-Christian, Jew or Greek, Roman, doesn't matter who we are, we are all a people who live under the judgment of sin. And save for our faith in Jesus Christ, we are lost. So, be very careful how you think about yourself in relation to the world, Paul says. And you can guarantee they're going to argue about this when Paul gets there. Yeah, this is just his first shot. First thing he teaches, faith, your faith does not make you better than anybody else. You live I, you live under, I live under the same judgment of sin as we get up every day that the rest of the world does. For all, he's going to finish this, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All right, that's number one. That's the first volley that he's going to fire about faith. The second thing he wants to say is, he almost hears the argument. Well, then why be Christian? Yeah? Anybody, anybody want to say amen to the people that are going to look at Paul, read this and say, well, then why be Jewish? Then why have I dedicated, preacher, why have I dedicated my life to the Word of God? Why have I tried to live by all of His laws all of these years? I didn't get to have near the fun that the other kids did when I was in high school. Yeah? If, if you're a Christian of moral bearing in this world, when you go through life, there's things you just don't get to do. 
Not because we think we're better than anybody else, but because we have this conscience inside of us that says, I don't get to do those things in the world because they're not a part of the character of God. And so the Jewish people of Paul's day, Paul can hear the argument that they're going to have with each other. When he finally shows up in Rome after being stranded on islands and shipwrecked and, and beaten and he's finally going to arrive in Rome a beaten man and he's going to argue with them about these things. And one of the arguments is going to be well then why did I give 60 years of my life to being a Christian? If I wake up tomorrow and I'm under the same sin as the rest of the world. What's the benefit? Paul's going to say this. What advantage? What advantage then? Beginning of chapter 3. What, ad, what advantage then has the Jew? What's the profit of circumcision? He says, Much. In every way. He's ready to answer him in faith. If you move to the 27th verse. He says. So where is the boasting? It's excluded. We don't get to boast in it. The advantage is. We don't get to set ourselves above the rest of the world. It's not that we're better than them. Where is the boasting? It's excluded. By what law? Of works? No. It's not because you've done the right thing. It's by the law of faith. Volley number two he's going to fire. What is faith? What is faith? A man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Well, there's a good question. Or is God a God of the Christians only in 2021? Is He also not God of the Gentiles? Yes. Since there's one God who will justify both the circumcised of faith, those who follow the law, alright? That's those of us who are Christian and have been Christian for years. And the uncircumcised. Through faith. So do we make void the law through faith? He says certainly not. On the contrary. He said we established the law. What's the benefit? Here's Paul's argument. See if you agree with it. The law. Carries with it its own reward. Let me say that again to you. Living a Christian life from the day that you were very little and your mom and dad brought you up here and you were baptized and they raised you in the church and you got to become a part of what in my youth was called United Methodist Youth Fellowships and we met on Sunday nights. Here at Santa Claus we meet on Wednesday nights and, and we have dinner that goes with it and we have all... 
and you're raised in the church and you stay in the church and you marry in the church and you bring your kids back into the church and they're raised in... You get it? That's, that's that Christian life I'm talking about. The community knows that you're a Christian. The community respects you because you're a Christian. What's the value of that if you wake up tomorrow and you're still a person under sin that has to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ because not a thing that you've done then for the last 60 years has earned you a place next to God. Paul says the law is the reward. Let me say it to you like this. I will... uh, I, I was right in the middle. I had a heart attack two days before my anniversary. Jeez. Still managed to get her something. There have been times and joys in my life. And I, don't, I didn't ask her if I had permission to say this, but I'm just going to say it. When Joy and I sat across from each other, when we had young children and she was pulling a rope one way <laughs> and I was on the other side playing tug of war with her. Sound familiar anybody that's had kids? We seriously sat down with each other on, on, on opposite sides of the table at times when our kids were young and said, man, this is hard. Do we want to keep doing this? Because sometimes it was hard. And we said, yeah, we want to keep doing this. And then those kids left home. And wonder of wonders, I realized I had been spending so much time with my kids that I didn't know my wife anymore. And we're on the other ends of this rope again pulling life who wins and we're seated across the table from each other again and we're saying to each other what do we do do we keep doing this because there were days months and sometimes even a year that life wasn't much fun And we answered each other and we said, yeah. And so I did the only reasonable thing that a stupid man who had been that way for lots and lots of years, I got us dance lessons so that we had to once again hold each other in our arms and figure out what it meant to love again. It worked. But the kids were out of the house and we were having to figure out what does life look like now? What does ministry look like? What does church look like? When your kids have left and gone to college, what connects you to church anymore? Because they pay me a salary? I can go anywhere and have a salary. I can do anything in this world to make money. What connects me to my church now that my kids are gone? You see, when my kids were around, church was important because we were raising our kids in church and we were, you remember? But what do you do now? Your kids are gone. You got each other. It's like, ooh. 
Can I tell you that every time we sat across the table from each other, one of the first things we always said to each other was, but what does God want? And we always came back to the point, God put us together. That which God has brought together, let not man separate. What was the benefit? Is it going to help Joyce and my salvation that now, 37 years later? 38. Hey, I had a heart attack. Is it going to help Joyce and my salvation that 38 years later we have decided that we were going to stick it out? Not a bit. That's, that's not going to get any stars in my crown. That's not going to get me check marks in heaven. Can I tell you what it did get me? The law was its own reward. I love joy more now than I ever did when we had young children. Or when I was learning to love her again when our kids left home. I could never have dreamed that I would have had walking next to me in life the love of my life. And if I had given up on that seven years, 14 years, 21 years, or 30 years into that, I would not have what I have today. The same is true of every one of God's laws. Paul says, what's the benefit of the law? The benefit of the law of God is not your salvation. It's the fact that God gives you in the law the ability to be happy, blessed, successful. Don't lie to each other, God's law says. Because you're going to go to hell? No. There are things, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you lied today. You still woke up today under sin. And without faith in Jesus Christ, you are lost. So why tell the truth today? Because the truth in and of itself is the reward. If you don't think so, build your life on a lie. Why? Why don't covet your neighbor's possessions? Because to covet your neighbor's possessions and to just want what your neighbor has does nothing to make you happy in life. Paul says, if you want things, go to God about them and then go get them. There's the benefit of the law. It's its own reward. Number three. Number three, faith is the only thing that brings hope in this world. Let me read you the scripture. It's the fifth chapter, begins with the first verse, and it says this. Having been justified by faith, if you haven't gotten that today, you haven't been listening. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith, number three, 
faith, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. There, you get to it. What is hope? If you don't remember what hope is, let me remind you. Hope is the expectation that God is going to act. Hope is not this this fanciful, uh, boy, I wish... Hope is the expectation that in the middle of whatever tribulation you're going through, God's going to show up. And that's the third premise that Paul says, we need to talk about hope. Because tribulation leads to perseverance. Perseverance leads to character, and it's that character of God that convinces you and I that no matter what happens to us in life, God's going to show up. No matter what happens to us, God's going to show up. Are we going to be saved? Paul wasn't. Are the people going to be spared the arena? No, many of them died in the arena. But in the midst of the tribulation, as they persevered, as character was built within them, God showed up. Three things Paul says. As as I write this letter to you in, in anticipation of me coming for us having a conversation. Three things that faith will give you. Number one, faith will give you salvation in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When every single day, you must believe on Christ every day. Your baptism didn't get it done. If you think it did, let's talk. Number two, faith is living by the laws and the character of God because they are their own reward. Number three, faith is the hope, the expectation that as we live our lives and we have tough times, God's going to show up. Please stand. Pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you, make His faith shine upon you, be gracious unto you. God would lift up His countenance upon you. God would give you peace. God is good. And all the time. Go in peace. God bless everybody. It's good to be back with you.